From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. This one, episode 244, is about social anxiety. How do you build on your confidence in social situations? This is really big, especially for me who suffered from social anxiety. When I was at rock bottom with generalized anxiety disorder, I found it quite difficult to talk to even the barista behind the Starbucks counter. And when I was suffering, I remember, well, looking back, my anxiety response was active continuously. So it was definitely hard to think critically and to be present when I was so internal. And that's the thing. Many clients come to me asking about why they are so socially awkward and is that permanent? And I say, well, Look, there's many factors to that, which we'll get into today. This is a really big episode. But let's look at the anxiety response. First of all, it takes over all other brain processes. It's hard to concentrate. It's hard to formulate coherent sentences. And really, when it comes down to it, developing on social anxiety, this is a skill That needs to be mastered and it was something I had to master. And there's there's definitely different areas that we need to talk about. The first is for me, I I am an introvert and social gatherings drain me. And so after a social gathering, I need to spend some time, a day or two days alone. And so if you're an introvert, a great sign is that Well, at social gatherings, it drains you and you feel like you need to be alone. And you're not so much craving and yearning for social situations. Extroverts crave it, thrive on it, want to seek jobs where they communicate a lot to other people. But also, just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you can get a free pass and not develop yourself socially. Quite the contrary. For me, I had to move along the spectrum towards extroversion. I'm always an introvert and you can't change that, but there's a spectrum of your personality that you can traverse and you can develop your extroversion, your social skills, skill by practicing. This is something I had to do. I had no confidence in my social abilities, as well as I had no boundaries, self-boundaries. So we can't talk about social anxiety without talking about boundaries. I found that there was a strong correlation between the lack of boundaries I set for myself and how I conducted myself socially. So first, I noticed that the more i the more unconscious i lived the more i would spout off opinions to others i would later regret i would say things 
to other people that I couldn't believe I said, and they felt it, and I noticed it. And what's interesting about people who are very unconscious and unskilled in social situations is that they are unaware of the people and their reactions around them because they're so internal. They say things without realizing that maybe you should not have said that or maybe you should stop going down this train of thought in front of these people because of their reactions. So being awake and aware is so important when being in social situations. First of all, when I started to develop my social skill, this is what happened. So I was nervous and ashamed about my interactions with the barista behind the Starbucks counter. So I would return the next day with the understanding that each interaction I engage in is a learning curve and experience. It, it, every, it, I, the feedback that I would get is important for my social development. And so if I said something that didn't resonate with other people, I would notice it through their reaction or what they say back, and then I would correct myself the next time. Because here's the thing about people who have bad experiences socially, they don't want to return to the dragon's lair. And for me, going through recovery, I knew I had to return. I So at Starbucks, I had a bad experience. My voice would crack. I felt ashamed. I would grab my tea and then walk out with my head hanging low and think, well, man, I blew it. Like, that was embarrassing. I can't come back here tomorrow. What do they think of me? But I, in my head, there was this voice I started to pay attention to, and the voice said, Brad, you have to come back tomorrow and face the dragon. Avoiding it is going to make you more weak. And I thought, all right, I'll come back. Tomorrow is a new opportunity to prove your old self wrong. We see this in the movie Groundhog Day. Phil is trying to develop his personality. He goes on a date with his coworker, Rita. He says a lot of stupid things. He's narcissistic. He's ego. His ego is through the roof. But he starts to begin to notice the feedback from Rita when he says something stupid. And then he thinks, well, tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to repeat the day anyways. So I'm going to come back and try again and not say that. And then he comes back the next day and he gets it 2% better, maybe even 1% better. The conversation goes a little bit better the next time. And the same thing happened with me at Starbucks. Each interaction, I noticed that it got better slowly, but it got better. 1%, 2%, 5%, maybe it would jump to 15% better, maybe even 50% better. It just kept improving. That is huge. So going back to the unconscious idea of people who are so internal, not being aware, so ego 
centered, they can't read the, the, the situation. And so I'd typically feel weak and embarrassed after an interaction. And so the more I was wandering around in my life, the more chaotic my life was, living to feed these impulsive desires within my unconscious mind, the more I would stack up the feelings of shame and guilt, and then that would impact my social situations. There was a lot of guilt and shame, and I had this overall weak, unhealthy identity. Weak, unhealthy identity. And then for me, without those boundaries, this is what I would do. I would sleep with someone who I didn't find attractive, but I was just feeding these underlying desires for attention, for impulsive gratification, for a transcendent experience. And then later realize, you know what? I probably shouldn't have done that. I could do better than this person. Why do I settle for the cheap? the easy, the convenient. I always settled for that. And, and that made me feel weak. It was convenient. It was easy. Why work towards something that's difficult or why face those fears? And then also, because I'm so agreeable in nature... I would find myself agreeing with other people for the sake of them wanting to accept me. And it takes a little bit of your soul each time you agree with other people and you feel like you don't agree with it. So building a foundation of morals and ethics, this will help you in establishing a line in the sand you do not cross. You have to build on this new identity. And how do you build on a new identity? You have to shift your beliefs and you have to shift your values. So boundaries means you understand the consequences of your future self if you step over that line. You understand that there's a future you that will be impacted by this small step over the line you know that you shouldn't cross. To build on this foundation, you have to break from your conventional means out into what you have yet mastered. And you have to confront fear. For me, pornography was a part of my past identity for a long time, for over a decade. Now, that feeling I felt after stumbling upon men on YouTube who started this nofap trend, which it's now a trend, this nofap adventure, I noticed 
within me that my ego went, oh, this is ridiculous. Look at these guys uh, and kind of laugh at it. But also I noticed that this feeling of admiration was also real within me. This part of me was admiring the fact that these men broke outside of the social norms. And I always admired those people who marched to the beat of their own drummer. And the fact that these men did something difficult and lived this warrior-like existence, that really connected with me. So I looked at their journey as a warrior's journey. And then I noticed that they no longer relied on their behavior to fulfill their cravings, to live a meaningful life. They transcended their cravings. They broke from their normalcy and walked the path of the difficult. And so inside, I knew that to master the self is to transcend the hedonistic lifestyle of the younger self. This is like an initiation ritual. The self-respect comes when you then view yourself as someone capable of traversing this difficult plane. And so when I rose above this, later realized addiction, I opened up to my friends and relatives about this accomplishment. I felt really good about this. The more responsibilities I decided to take on, the more self-respect and self-reliance manifested. And then when I crossed that line, when I knew this path was the right path for me, and when I crossed it, when I relapsed, when I agreed with someone I didn't agree with, when I said yes to something I really should have said no to, there was this mini betrayal that happened and I noticed it and I felt like, well, maybe this is just not for me. Maybe I can't do this. I'm a loser. All of this hit me, but I knew, I knew this was the path. And then I realized that, well, I'm going to fail at this if it's something that I've been doing for over a decade, but also it's going to be an up and down journey. I'm going to get to my destination, even though it's not going to be a linear path. And so that's really important to think about because you're no longer the same person, even though you've failed, you're no longer the same person watching pornography every single day, you know, you relapsed once out of a month of not doing it. And then you think, well, I just went a month without doing it. And I used to do it two times a day. It, 
that opens your eyes to the fact that you've moved along this path. You failed, but the failure is so important because it's an orienting mechanism. It shows you because you feel terrible that this path is worth walking down, that this is meaningful to you, that this is a place I don't want to be. I want to be the person that doesn't relapse. And so but the relapse is like an indicator of, wow, you know, even though I was on this strict diet, I thought the cheat would be worth it. I cheated on with donuts or Chinese food. I don't feel good. I get it. I get why I was on this path. Sometimes we need that. Aha, I get why I'm doing this. Because we start to feel so good. We start to feel like we're killing it. And then all of a sudden, we fall back. And then we realize, oh, this is why. I wanted to feel good every day. I thought the, the cheat would, wouldn't be so much for me. But it is. So I'm going to go back on and do it more. And you're winning when you do that. And it's really important that you know that. But let's talk about self-sabotage. Like Voldemort, a piece of our soul gets taken from us when we betray our higher selves. So in Harry Potter, Voldemort, he kills a bunch of people. A piece of his soul is taken from him each time he betrays that higher self. And the more pieces of his soul that is taken, the more he pretty much uh, transforms into Satan himself. And that's absolutely true. The more you betray yourself, the more you slink and slither back into bitterness and resentfulness and you lose that self-respect to the point where you're just living unconsciously and feeding to the whims of your egotistical desires. And so what you entertain is what you become. You become your own self-tyrant if you remain a slave to those impulsive drives. And so fear... This leads to totalitarianism. Why? The more you ignore something, the more it grows in size and requires your attention. Because the fear gets so big, you can't help but pay attention to it. And because you don't attend to it, it has you in its grip. You're a slave. Don't think of a big purple elephant. You're going to think about it. That's what happened when I was suffering from health anxiety and I, I didn't want to confront the outside world because each time I would leave my safe zone, I would immediately come into contact with uncomfortable anxiety sensations and then have the fear of losing control, dying, and not having uh, any family or medical personnel around to save me. And so I retreated back into my home. But what happens when you retreat back into your home? The fear outside, it just 
it's it's palpable, but also the fear starts to creep into your safe zone as well. Because even at home, I had trouble sleeping. I had, I still had the fear of uh, having a heart attack. And then the walls kept shrinking in on me. And what I thought was helpful, the retreat ended up being my worst enemy because then I became weaker mentally and physically. You have to master the fear in order to transcend the fear. You have to master the fear in order to rise above it. And so an example of this is a health anxiety sufferer and the total fear of them getting sick. Because what happens? Well, they push the fear of getting sick away by, what do they do? Comfort foods, medications, weed, alcohol, reassurance seeking. They're reliant upon external means to numb, soothe, and distract them. But let's look at distraction. Distraction from what? Well, distraction from this uncomfortable reality. Well, what's going on within the body? Well, maybe you should become obsessed about finding the answers if you are suffering continuously. Maybe your strategies right now, they're not working, okay? They're not working. What do you need to do? Well, you need to look elsewhere. And so you need to move beyond your narrow perspective. But also, the health anxiety sufferer views themselves as unhealthy. They rely on these external means. And then what happens? These external means make them unhealthy, and their fears come true. So their fear becomes a reality the more you try and push it away. So you have to confront it to master it. So to master the fear of conducting an illness, what do you have to do? You have to build on a foundation of someone who is healthy. Okay, look into diet. Look into your day-to-day. You have to rearrange the structure of your existence. You have to introduce meditation, breathing exercises. You have to look into your relationships and if they are healthy. You have to look in to your past Why do you become your own tyrant? Well, you become your own tyrant one step at a time. Like I said, ignoring the truth, entertaining personal desire, seeing one side of the same coin, not moving beyond your narrow perspective, 
attacking others who think and act differently. Censorship, erasing the past, ignoring the realities of your past, the beliefs and the traumas of your parents, and then the traumas of your past, maybe in high school, whatever periods of your life, and then having no transcendent values that you believe that the totality of your existence is of fame, acceptance, money. Learning to be assertive means to say no. To accept that you might draw others away. But what do you fear more? Drawing others away or betraying a little bit of of your soul? If the stranger, if the coworker, if the friend, if the relative severs the relationship based on your beliefs and values, why is it worth continuing anyways? That's a really good question. That's a question I ask myself when I'm around new people and I think to myself, well, why am I, why am I trying to be so agreeable here? Do I really want them to be my friend? Am I looking for a friend? If I stick to my morals and values, maybe they will see, they will respect me for having a line in the sand. Because a lot of people, you meet these people who don't have a line, they don't have boundaries, and you think, wow, you know, there's something so unattractive about them. The fact that They don't have a foundation. They don't have a line that they betray themselves. They betray other people. You don't respect those people. They can't be trusted. They're flailing about wildly. And that randomness is, well, unattractive to people because you don't want to deal with people who are random because you can't trust them. You can't establish a foundation. We all know that each person we come into contact with is full of snakes, and so are you. But to be courageous is to accept the fact that you can bite me, but I'm going to trust that you're not going to do that. Well, maybe there's an underlying fear of being alone. Maybe... You have to master being alone. If you master that, then no one can move your foundation. And that's where I'm going to leave you on this podcast episode. Thank you, everybody, for being here, being a listener, being a supporter of the show. Remember, I do have a a anxiety recovery program on my website at unpluganxiety.com. It's a downloadable program that you can do yourself if you're not interested in one-on-one coaching. Lastly, rise above anxiety. I'll see you next time. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.